I loved ending on that song. Uh, as uh, Marie mentioned, we're in the Advent series right now, and um, heavenly peace, that's what we're talking about today. I like Advent. I, I love this series. I like anything that shifts my, um, just shifts my focus towards Jesus, and especially this time of year because we do get overwhelmed in, uh, with a lot and um, lives become busy. We get invited to things. And um, anything that makes me slow down is a good thing. I think it's kind of cool. So Advent is, the whole idea is to prepare our hearts so we focus on Jesus. And it was kind of cool that in the book of Isaiah, um, 700 years before Jesus came, uh, God was doing the same thing through the prophet Isaiah. Had him share here i want you to prepare yourself what's going to happen is jesus is going to come um so we'll start reading in isaiah 9 right at the first verse it says nevertheless there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress in the past he humbled the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali but in the future he will honor galilee which is where Jesus was, of the nations, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everliving, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So if you look at that, it's got like two parts. The first part is telling you the oppression and everything that they've been in and that um, of what they're going to be saved from. All of these burdens. <clears throat> and then it explains that it's going to be a, a child born. And it describes what Jesus is going to have. So for us, it's the same way. Just as in the days of Isaiah. And when Jesus arrived in his day, we're all in need of a savior. Look at Isaiah's uh, description again. There was gloom. People walking in darkness. Those living in the land of deep darkness, it said they were lacking joy. A yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And they'd seen a lot of war. Does that sound familiar? It does to me. It should. That's the prognosis of the world until Jesus comes back completely and makes everything new. 
It's true, we are all in need of a Savior. But another truth is, none of us know what we really need. So we don't know what kind of Savior that should look like. We know we need a Savior. But our culture and our brokenness has taught us incorrectly what that looks like. The first four books of the New Testament... And if uh, you can quiz the children, if you have any children in my children's church class, uh, they should know they're called the Gospels, and that means good news. So uh, please ask them that, quiz them a little bit. They got a cookie whenever they answered that correctly, so that's my fault if they were a little bouncy on the way home. So um, I guess I could bring cookies in here. We could get, oh, yes. (laughs) All right, we'll do that next time. Give you a cookie if you get the right answer. Okay, but yes. They're the good news because they are about the advent. They're about the arrival of Jesus. He is the good news. If you start reading the Gospels, you quickly see what they thought of this prophecy and what was going to happen as a Savior came. They were expecting what happened a long, long time ago as King David had the throne and God helped him, you know, gave them the power to conquer all the enemies. And then by the time his son took over, Solomon, they had peace, prosperity. I mean, they had an awesome thing. And their circumstances were just amazing. But they didn't... In the, uh, when Jesus showed up, they didn't know what to expect. So let's look at John 6 and just see a little bit of what they're thinking immediately. It's kind of a a funny verse, not funny, uh, peculiar, that most of us would have skimmed right over this one pretty quickly and not even noticed that it's in there. Um, But verse 14 and 15. So, one second. Before this, Jesus has um, just performed big miracles. He healed all kinds of people there. And then he fed 5,000, it said 5,000 men, so some people have estimated that'd be like 20,000 people that he had fed with five loaves of bread and a couple fish. So pretty big deal. People are freaking out. They're like, wow, this is obviously God has shown up. It's, so it said in verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So they're like, this is him. This is the Savior. So then Holy Spirit speaks to Jesus, and and it says, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. They're like, they were thinking, we're going to make him king right now. He withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So I don't know how he snuck out of a crowd. That has to be a Holy Spirit gifted moment where he escaped. Um, But they immediately were wanting to make him king where he can save them from the Romans. So it's at least good. I mean, I give them some kudos, you know, good job. It's good they were smart enough to know that he is the Savior that they were looking for, but they didn't understand the kind of Savior he was. So they wanted God to change their circumstances. Does anyone know how that feels? Would you like God to change your circumstances right now? That's what they wanted. God changed my circumstances. So they tried to make Jesus that kind of savior right then. They wanted. That's what they wanted. So they're like, oh, he's going to be my king that changes my circumstances. 
takes care of Romans for me. And that wasn't his plan. And he didn't change his plan for them, right? Did he? He didn't change his plan. We do the same thing right now, don't we? We want God to change our circumstances. We try to make Jesus the kind of Savior we want him to be. We want God to change our circumstances, but what God wants to do, what Jesus came to do, he wants to make us circumstance-proof. Where you, your peace inside of you, your Jesus inside of you, makes you able to handle any circumstance. And not only that, it can change circumstances, but at first you, it gives you what you need in any circumstance. You know, his disciples also didn't get it, which is pretty funny. They had been living with him for a couple years. Let's look at Mark 10. So here's the backdrop. You know, again, they've been living with him a couple years, and then uh, a couple of them are like, He's going to take over sometime. Apparently, he didn't that one time that he escaped out after feeding 5,000. He didn't want to be king right then, but he's going to become king, and I want a good position in the government. So they're like, can I be secretary of state or vice president or whatever it is? You know, I don't know what you're going to call yourself. You're going to be king, so can I be junior or whatever in charge of something? And he was just like, he pulled all of the disciples together, and he said in verse 42, Mark 10, 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, which he's speaking of himself, did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's also mentioned in Luke. Let's look at Luke 9, 46. It's, it's a different perspective, a different writer who wanted to, to focus on a, a different thing Jesus did in that, in that discussion. So verse 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. So that looks different than being important, doesn't it? He's like, he's trying to shift their thinking instead of I want to be important in the government. He's like, look, this child, you welcome them in my name, you welcome me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. My father. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. You know, they were with him for years. They saw him not getting involved in politics, right? Did he ever deal with anything with Roman anything? No, he did not. Did he try to get in good with the religious leaders? He didn't. Instead, what did he do? He hung out with the poor people, the outcast people, the people that no one else would touch. You know, we have those people in America right now, right? It's pretty strange, American Christianity, which I'm going to stomp on those toes a little bit today. So please stick with me until the end and then 
throw your stones at me, but, you know, at least stick it out. But it's so funny when you get in those circumstances of life, you get in the toughest thing, you become a drug addict because maybe your baby died and you don't know how to handle it and you are not, you're not getting there quickly and your response is drug addict. Well, we get taught in American Christianity they're a drug addict. They get what they deserve, and I don't want to be near them. I don't want to touch them. I'm going to get cooties. You know, I mean, I'm going to get the bad cooties on me. And it's, they haven't, some of them have not been touched, like hugged or patted on the back. People I've met at the mission for years. It throws them off. We had a guy, a couple guys visit our Friday night service, and I felt God told me, he, this guy was blowing his nose on this rough paper towel-like stuff, and it was like, give him some soft tissue. So I went and brought him over some soft tissue. He was stunned to look at me, and later on, I held his hand and prayed for him. He wants to get home to California. So I'm praying for that man, but he hasn't been touched, I bet, like that. Like someone, he's got face tattoos, so there you go. He don't deserve to be touched. Obviously, he's a scary man. Probably wants to kill me, you know. He didn't want to kill me. He wanted to have dignity. Another human look him in the eyes, hold his hand. I'm not scared of you. Jesus loves you. This is how Jesus ministered. He ministered to the people that couldn't be touched according to the spiritual leaders. And he touched them. And he freaked people out. They were trying to make Jesus the Savior they wanted him to be. You know, it's so ingrained in us from a child on up that about leadership, you know, and about, about doing the Christian way or whatever, that it's hard for us to even accept this, this truth of how Jesus did it. It's like we've refused to see how he did things and how emulating him is doing these things. When Jesus arrived, he brought Israel a better way. Okay, listen to this. It was better than making himself the new prime minister, okay? He didn't become the prime minister of Israel. It was more important that he did what he did, that he's eternal. We have to get this. Now, I put three exclamation points if you could see it on here. So, you know, we have to get this. We have to get this point. Jesus didn't come to overthrow Rome. Now, again, stand with me. Please don't throw anything at me. Jesus didn't come to make America great again. Gasp. I love America. And if that offends you uh, that I said that in comparison with Jesus, I'm sorry. I was a soldier for 10 years. I got the right to talk about this. But us American Christians need to get our heads Straightened up and know what Jesus is about. He's not nervous that there's a war on, Christ, on Christmas this year, guys. He's not nervous. He's not up on the throne. Oh, no. America's war on Christmas. We're going to lose it. I need more soldiers to stand up for Christmas for America and not say happy holidays. Oh, my gosh. What if they say happy holidays? What will happen? You know, I thought about this before the service. Just, that's just hilarious. It's like... 
What if a Muslim or an atheist, I say, you know, try to shove Merry Christmas down their throat. I'm sure I have just made them closer to Jesus. I have just saved their life probably by telling them, you stupid, you're not taking my Merry Christmas away, making me say happy holidays. Jesus would say happy holidays and show grace to that person. He wouldn't have to. You show me when Jesus talked about a sin. You know what one he talked about? He called the people that were super religious like that, he called them names. He called them vipers. He said, you're whitewashed tombs because you're not showing any love. That's who he talked about. That's his make whatever great again. He was like, make love great again. Make peace great again. So the problem with the greatness of America or Rome or whatever or the retailers saying happy holidays is that is a circumstance. That is circumstances stuff again. Jesus changed my circumstances. I don't want this whatever to be happening wherever I am. I don't want to have to deal with this. It's not eternal. The things of God are eternal. What's eternal, Vince? I'll tell you, good question. Thanks for asking. What's eternal? Eternal is peace. Peace is eternal. It's from God. It's one of the things, it's like hope. It goes forward out. Not like the beauty pageant answer peace, you know. I want world peace, you know, not that peace. Although that's a great thing. It's good to want it. It's a good answer. But peace from the Spirit of God starts inside of you when you accept the Spirit of God in you. It comes from a relationship with God. And it fills you so much that it cannot help from spreading to another human. When you look them in the eyes and you hold their hand and you're like, God loves you, man. And that guy I uh, prayed for, he's like, I don't know about this God stuff. I mean, he had never heard about God stuff, really. He just understood a little bit again. And I'm just like, God just loves you. He's pursuing you. He's, you're obviously here for a moment that he is, he is set. And if, you know, he wants to take care of you. He wants to love you. And you just got to accept it. That's where it starts. It starts in me. It starts in you that you let God stir that in you, that peace so much that when you walk in a room, it can't help but be affected by you. So then it, it actually can change the circumstances. You know, my favorite theologians of all time that I've gotten to watch, um, Graham Cook, if you've heard of him, before uh, Dallas Willard died a couple years ago. But if you see those men speak, you can tell there's peace all over them. I mean, it just comes out like whoosh. It, it affects the room. I like Bob Bresch. You can tell that he spent a lot of time quietly before God, and peace comes off of that man. And my friend Paige loves peace. She's really connected in a neat way where she knows that she has shared that many times. She knows that she could, if she's not feeling it, she can say, God, I want that peace. And she might just have to say peace. (laughs) And he shows up. And that's available to all of us. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So let's look at our main Advent scripture. It's going to be read a little bit, I think, each week in Philippians 2. Philippians is pretty awesome. Verses 5 through 8. 
So here we go. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There you go. The same mindset. That's what we're talking about. How did he do things? How did, how did he touch people, pray for people? The same mindset. Who being in, in very nature God, he was God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. So when he went to earth, he chose to be a human, a baby, the most humble, the most little. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that was considered a cursed thing. If Jesus chose to be our Savior this way... (laughs) Shouldn't we take note and emulate his humility and peace? He modeled us how to minister out of this humility and peace. He modeled it. Again, he ministered to individuals in small things over and over. Just small things. Doing the small things will change your life and will change the world. A neat story in a from 1897, there was a Teresi of Lisu. I don't know the, uh, any of these words, but anyway, this, they called her Little Teresi, was a Carmelite nun who died at the age of 24. She only lived to be 24, but she had modeled what she called the little way of loving and following Jesus, the little way. So remember that. Remember the little way. She said, what matters in life is not great deeds, but great love. For her, it was doing small things motivated by great love that the world would be changed for good. Her singular life's goal was that her death would begin the fulfillment of her mission to make God loved by his little ones. And her mission took root. In the early 1900s, a young Albanian nun took on that name of Mother Teresa Actually, she called it Little Teresi also, so it's interesting. As she followed the same way of love. In doing so, she ministered peace and reconciliation to tens of thousands of the world's poor. She's been one of the most respected people over the last hundred years. Right? I mean, a lot of people have heard of Mother Teresa and said, Wow. And she understood Jesus' way of humility and peace. But I find it pretty funny or interesting. I always say funny, but that's like funny peculiar. It's interesting that many of us in our, again, our modern thinking, our American thinking, or whatever thinking, um, would say, wow, she was great. So I want to be great like her. I want to minister, I want to start this great big organization. I want to get it, you know, and I want to become important. And it's ironic that it would be the opposite, complete opposite of what she did, of how she started, what she did. She started by loving one person in front of her who couldn't give anything back because usually they were dying. They were outcast. She loved who was in front of her. She lived out of this peace and this love. It's the small things, it's the small changes laying down some of our self-reliance to become Christ-reliant. 
and that will change your trajectory in your life. I love from Tolkien, the some believe it's only great power that can hold evil in check, but that is not what I have found in the small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay, some small acts of kindness and love. It's the little things. So during your Advent season, what's the little things for you? Maybe giving yourself that extra five minutes to drink a cup of coffee in the morning and chill in silence, get that peace, pray for that peace. Remember to pray. One of my friends not long ago reminded me that, wow, I noticed I've been going through this stuff, I forgot to pray. And I was like, yes, I know the feeling. <laughs> and I shared that a couple weeks ago. I went through a long thing, uh, this big mess at work for like six months one time. And then, <laughs> oh, wait, I could pray about that. And God immediately answered. It was amazing. You could listen to another person. You could pray for another person, hold their hand, listen to your child. They got stories. It's one thing I try to do at Children's Church every week is listen. Just let them tell their story because they don't always get to tell their story, especially if there's more than one in the family. Then <laughs> they have to fight for that moment to speak. Jesus is the Savior you need. He's the Savior other people need. He wants to be in here permeating the whole part of you. When, when we heard the list that the Israel had of the problems, the oppression and things like that, so um, he kind of repeated, uh, Isaiah repeated that, had very something very similar. Wow, I'm tripping on my words. I'll slow down. He said something very similar that Jesus quoted in the fourth chapter of Luke where he said, he's like, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, right? To recover his sight for the blind, to um, free the oppressed, you know, set free prisoners. Anyway, it was his mission statement. So to take away oppression, to heal, to pray for people for healing, and I promise you, if you press into that and practice it, it works. And to help with oppression. And yes, sometimes it even affects a whole government's oppression. But it starts small. For us, it starts with you. Letting God do that inside of you and getting that peace. But then it goes for you sharing that to someone else and, and trying to break through in that spiritual, in that emotional oppression 